The Business Lounge. No job titles, no agendas, no thongs. I'm Simon Reynolds and I'm in an imaginary airport business lounge with the world's most successful people waiting for their flight. Business people have to travel and sometimes delays happen and we can take advantage of that. You get to hear 45 minutes of one guest in conversation before their flight boards. You'll hear their stories, the triumphs, the challenges and the lessons they've learned along the way. Welcome to The Business Lounge. The Business Lounge. Welcome to the very first edition of The Business Lounge, a behind-the-scenes talk with some of the country's greatest business people. And for our very first episode, we have an extraordinary entrepreneur who has completely dominated the world of real estate. He started with nothing, and he grew it into a whole lot of something. In fact, he grew it into one of the biggest and fastest-growing real estate empires in Australia today. We're talking about a guy that I actually went to school with. So I have known him from the very start before he even had a business, right up to the point now where he has a publicly listed business worth a small fortune. I'd like to introduce you to the mighty John McGrath, a champion of real estate, a champion for entrepreneurs, and our guest today at the Business Lounge. Paging passenger John McGrath, Please make your way to gate nine. So I think in any industry, in any business, there's always, if you look at what you're doing, I'll guarantee you, if you sit down and pull it apart or get a fresh set of eyes from someone, there's going to be some ways of doing it a bit better. The Business Lounge. No job titles, no agendas, no thongs. Welcome to the inaugural edition of The Business Lounge, a behind-the-scenes talk with some of the country's greatest business people to find out how they made it. And we have a fantastic example of business greatness as our very first guest He is the king of real estate, no doubt about that. He started his office in his lounge room, his first agency in 1988. It now employs over 2,000 team members in 123 offices. Not only that, though, he's also the founding director of REA Group. Now, you may know that as realestate.com.au, by far the dominant real estate website in Australia, valued on the ASX at over $17 billion. But even more than that, he's a hero to entrepreneurs. He spent an enormous amount of his spare time devoted to helping entrepreneurs, giving advice in all forms. He's written some superb best-selling business books. He runs the biggest training organization for his industry, and he is there for entrepreneurs when they need his wisdom. He's a bit of a legend. He is John McGrath. Welcome, John. Thanks, Simon. Good to be here. Mate, great, great to have you. It's a stellar story, but it didn't start out that way, did it? You started in school probably about as, it went about as good as I did. You're a pretty poor student. What was it like being at school? Well, look, I was a good athlete and I was a poor student, not because I was particularly stupid, but I just didn't kind of get the academic thing and the subjects that they were teaching. I didn't see the relevance. So I just didn't really try. I mean, I wasn't the smartest kid in the room, but my results were pretty pathetic. And therefore, I guess when you finish the HSC, which I did in 1980, 81, 
you're kind of you're limited for choice, right? Because there's only so many things you can do when you get 95 out of 500 in the <laughs> HSC. I'm not sure they've yet they're yet to actually uh, uh, create a course that accommodates that low mark. So I was very limited with choice. I went to a careers advisory centre, but I knew that I, I knew that I had passion and energy. And, you know, I was prepared to work hard. So I had a lot of the elements that I figured would stand me in good stead. And um, I went into Careers Advisory Centre in Surrey Hills and um, they virtually gave me an A to Z. They said, look it through, anything you like, take a photocopy, ask us about it. And I came across real estate and I thought, well, it's kind of interesting. It's mobile, it's out and about, meeting lots of people. And you can probably earn good money, I guess. So um, I, I sort of started down that track. I enrolled three nights a week at Randwick Tech and I got a job during the day renting flats in Bondi Junction and it sort of all came together. But I, I guess, Simon, what I found was I actually had a great passion for serving people. Mm. I really loved the whole process of, of giving people service and I don't think it would have mattered whether it was, you know, a restaurant or real estate or anything really. I just enjoy serving people and I kind of like creativity and innovation too. I, I like to figure out better ways of doing things. And uh, so I got into it um, and went well as a letting clerk property manager that I went to sales when I hit 20 years of age, which was probably a little bit younger than the average person goes into real estate sales, but, you know, sort of fitted me. And um, I did well there. And at 24, I started the company, which is today McGrath Estate Agents, which you kindly described at the front end. Um so yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and you know, as all entrepreneurs and would be entrepreneurs know, there's a lot of pain involved in business, in, in any part of life. Really, you've got to take the good with the bad. Mm. But uh, that's the way it sort of started from a failed HSC mark, and um, just finding something that I really love doing. And what was that failure in in the HSC or low mark in the HSC? Was that the driver to really dedicate yourself to to business? Did that did, was it like a chip on your shoulder that you wanted to prove people wrong? I don't think it actually was because, you know, I didn't expect to get a good mark. I didn't deserve one. And, you know, I, I, never, so I never thought oh, I'm going to be a lawyer or I'm going to be a doctor or something like that. Mm. I always knew that I'd do something different. But I did have this thing, I had this fear when I started in life and in business that I didn't want to end up just being one of a sea of faces of people that seem to struggle a lot in the world and, you know, live lives that they're probably not that passionate about. So it was probably fear of not amounting to much, uh, and I don't mean that with any disrespect to anyone. I mean, I, I hope everyone's as happy doing whatever they want to do, but I did see a lot of people around me that were the next generation and above, and they didn't seem particularly happy with their way. And I thought, man, I just I, I couldn't stand getting up every day and just going to a job that I didn't really love and not achieving anything much in, in life. So I thought, well, I better work my backside off, so give myself a real shot at, at doing something well and getting towards the top of it. So I decided I wanted to be the world's best real estate salesman. And honestly, I thought that'd be pretty cool, you know, mm. world's best real estate salesman. So I just, I studied everything I could. And if you remember, you know, you and I, you're a bit younger than me, but we're similar vintage. Back in those days, it was very hard, unlike today, it was very hard to access quality information and insights. There were no shows like this one of yours. There was no internet. Um, there was no email back then. It was very hard and you literally had to buy a cassette from some sort of a mail order magazine if you were lucky enough to find one and, you know, sort of put cassettes in cassette players and listen there and sort of the old-fashioned way. So I just did that as much as I could and uh, I found a few people that inspired me and Steve Jobs, you know, the founder of Apple, was he was the first person that I really thought, wow, if I could do something like that in real estate, 
that'd be so cool because I sort of watched his story from when he started in a garage and and what he did to change the world. Not that I've changed the world, but I, I certainly thought, well, that gave me an inspiration to do something big and to think big. And I remember one of his, you know, you and I have been mates for all our life, and and I remember, you know, we used to talk a lot about what he, what he did and, and you know, read books and, and stuff and so forth. I remember one of the things he said was, I want to make a dent in the universe. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of what I want to do. He just said it better than I ever could have. I want to do something that leaves a legacy so I can look back and say, okay, got into real estate, did well, hopefully changed the industry, hopefully improved some people around me's lives. That was a story. So it really started predominantly out of fear of never amounting to much. Yeah. And look, it's really quite extraordinary to have observed you because you went from not doing much study to really being an extraordinary student of success and of of the real estate industry. And I remember you did something that was completely untypical of that era, which is, you know, several decades ago. You used to fly to the US just to attend real estate conferences to learn from the yeah. very best. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that, back in those days, there was no no real, well, again, no Zoom, no internet. So if you wanted to go somewhere, Australia had nothing on offer because, you know, we were sort of a bit of a backwater back then. Um, so you had to really go to either Europe or America, and America was easier to get to and had more conferences. So once a year I used to go to the big real estate conference that had 20,000 people called National Association of Realtors, and then I got invited in and Dr. Fred, who you know now, Simon, we, we've known for a long time, Dr. Fred Gross, I found a cassette that he had done. It was actually it was given away to me at, at one of the X-Trade Expos and I listened to it. When I got back, I popped it in the cassette recorder and I listened to it and I thought, oh, my God, I've never heard a dialogue like this. So I picked up the phone and I rang the number on the cassette with the landline. I said, you know, and, and he answered the phone. I couldn't believe it. And he and I just said, you know, I've just heard your cassette. I'm in Australia. And he said to me, I've been expecting your call. So, like, that <laughs> freaked me out. I thought either this guy's an unbelievable snake oil salesman or there's some twilight zone that I've missed. He said, I've been expecting your call. And I, and I said, how do you mean? And he said, well, you wouldn't know this, of course, because we've just met each other, but he said, I've just married married a lovely young lass called Victoria Sinclair. She lives in New Zealand. I've been doing all my work in America, but I'm going to move to New Zealand. Real estate's my space. And I thought um, I wanted to investigate who are the best realtors in Down Under in Australia and New Zealand. And he said, your name being my name kept popping up. So he said, when I got to New Zealand next week, I was going to call you. So it was kind of one of those really interesting karmic moments in life. And uh, so uh, he then ended up coaching our team at McGrath for best part of 20 years and still today um, does some coaching. And he invited me to a top 10 agents in the US. So he had he had the top 10 real estate agents. They did a round table every four months in Chicago. And uh, he said, you know, I'd love to invite you to this. And I've spoken to the team and I've told them you're kind of the number one agent in Australia and they're all keen to have you on board. So uh, it was a long way to go. I mean, Sydney to Chicago every every quarter is a long way, but it was worth every second of it. And I surrounded myself, which is one of the great keys to success, you know, for, for anyone that's out there trying to be a better entrepreneur, find people who are extraordinary at what they do and find some way to get as close to them as possible. But if you can actually get in a room of a seminar or an event or a roundtable or a workshop, it was extraordinary. So I, I got to every every three months listen to the number one agents in America. That just changed my world. So between Dr. Fred and the conference that I used to go to and then the workshops I went to, 
Simon, it just took my thinking to a new level because, you know, sometimes whether you're, it's just because of where you live or because the office you work with or the team you're in, sometimes the inspiration you're looking for is not necessarily all around you and you've got to go looking for it. So that's what I did. And as I said, despite it was, you know, quite expensive and, and quite an effort in terms of flying over and back every few months, it was well worth it. And I'd say that those activities that you've just referred to probably did as much to change my real estate life and business as anything else. Mm, extraordinary, extraordinary. But you didn't just attend those conferences. I, one of the things that separates you from so many is your ability to take action. And I remember being at a conference and a guy spoke and you wrote notes furiously and then you immediately left at the break and came back and I asked what, what you'd done and you had activated what that person had said in your agency. You'd literally taken action that fast. And I think that's just such a difference between the average person who goes to a conference and, and someone like yourself. Yeah, I'm not sure who it is, but there was someone recently said that if it was just about information, we'd all be billionaires with perfect abs. And and that's it's true, isn't it? Like, you know, you know what it takes to get yourself in good shape and to create a good business and to be a successful salesman or successful whatever you want to be. It's really the application of what you know and just not the application once, it's consistent application in the direction of your goals. Mm. So one of the the habits that I think I I learned early on was when you hear something that resonates, do it as fast as possible. So I've I've sort of made a practice of whenever I, as you mentioned, came across good information, I was, you know, able to text it or email it or whatever was was happening at the time, uh, hit back and then I'd put it on an agenda and I'd say, can you research this? Can you pop it on the agenda for our sales meeting on Monday? I just find that, you know, occasionally, you know, you go off a bit too early and you waste a bit of time or money. But most of the time when you do that, you actually make it happen because I think as Tony Robbins says, you know, never leave the scene of inspiration without taking action. That's really what I try and do because when you get inspired, if you don't do it then, my experience is you probably never will. A lot of people say, oh, I'll think about it and I'll put it here and then I'll do some more research. But all of that stuff in the busy worlds we live generally doesn't happen. So I just find, you know, ready, fire, aim, you know, just get into it, give it a go, uh, trial it. If it looks good, explore it further and, and polish it off. But just try and do it as fast as possible. Mm, mm, so true. Now, you started your agency at 24. I mean, that is ridiculously young to open any company, certainly a, a real estate agency. How did it start? Did it start with a banger or a whimper? So, you know, the, the, and, and your experience is too, Simon, the joy of naivety is when you're young and you do stuff, often you don't know what you don't know. So I thought I was pretty good at selling real estate. I was selling lots of houses. So I may as well just open an office. How hard can it be? On one way, it wasn't that hard, but I didn't know much about how much capital was required, cash flows. I didn't know about, you know, monthly trust account and bookkeeping and all the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff that people that are probably far better at operations than I'll ever be, they do in their sleep. But I was just a great salesman, and I think I developed a few leadership skills along the way. So for me, it was, you know, pretty easy. Let's go out. Started from home. Easy to do. Literally, my, my home phone was my – I just made it my business phone. I had a housekeeper that would come in, and I'd say to her, if I'm going to an appointment, can you answer the phone, take a number, and I'll call them when I get back. So it was very rudimentary. But, you know, I didn't know any different. And um, after a few months when I was doing reasonably well and I hired my first employee, I went to a serviced office. And then a few months later, I went to a small office uh, in Paddington. Did it start with a bang? Probably not a bang, but it started quite well. 
The hard part was about 18 months, two years into it, when things seemed to be going very swimmingly, very well, and I'd hired a number of agents, probably had four agents by that stage. I had probably four or five other staff as well. And I remember I went to that conference. I used to go over every year in America. It was in San Francisco. And I got there, and uh, and it was nighttime, so it was the night before the first event. So I'd literally just landed that day, and I'd walked around San Francisco. And then I get a call from my accountant, a guy called Stephen Jones at the time, and he said, um, I might need you to come back. And I said, what do you mean? I've just got here. And he said, I've just had a look at the cash flow, and I've had a look at the bank account. And he said, we got wages on Thursday. I'm not sure we can pay everyone, and I think you might have to – and I thought, man, like, how could this be? I thought we were selling lots of property. Did I watch cash flow with an e- eagle eye? No, I didn't. But I thought it would just work anyway. So um, I managed to, I called the bank the next day and I said, look, I understand there might be a cash flow shortage. I'm in America. I'll be back in a few days. Can you cover this? So, you know, they kindly covered it till I got back. Then I made arrangements to sell the only property that I had at that stage, which I'd bought a couple of years before with my commissions. So that was that was a wake-up call, man, because really when you're there and you think, God, I mean, what would have happened? Let's just take the next level. Bank says no, won't cover you. I ring the staff, sorry, can't pay you. People start leaving, word gets out, no one wants to deal with a company that can't pay their staff, mm. and all of a sudden it could have, could have ended very differently to the way it's gone to this date. So um, I think, again, it's such a cliche, but I love it when people say it's not what happens to you that really matters in life, it's how you deal with it. And, you know, I panicked. Uh, I wasn't terribly courageous. I raced back quick as I could. I sold the property quick as I could. I was sweating the whole time waiting for a property sale so I could keep things going. Mm. Anyway, all's, all's well that ended well. But, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, for all business people that I come across, it's the painful times and they're going to be there. If you haven't had them yet, they're going to be there. I remember one day I had five of my top staff walked in and they said, can we see you? And I thought, shit, this isn't going to end well. <laughs> and they walked. They walked into the office and they said, we got some terrible news and they're all looking down at the floor. And, you know, I said, yeah, well, I guess I know what it is. They said, we're, we're leaving and we're going down the road to the, the competitor who'd offered them, you know, supposedly a better deal. And, you know, I've had different over the years, I've had different versions of that, whether it's someone leaving or losing, a, losing a, you know, a good piece of business or a great client or, you know, initially not being able to pay staff. But you just got to go through and you got to fight the alligators and you got to get the machete out and you got to cut your way through it because all business and, and all life, it's not just business, it's in life. There's always going to be challenges and it's about rising to the challenge so you can deal with them more effectively going forward. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think it started okay. Soon after that, though, I mean, we did, we did get in a strong momentum. We started winning various awards and so forth and, you know, things changed fairly quickly. But, you know, I went through some dark moments for, you know, certainly for a few weeks or a couple of months during that period. The Business Lounge. Disrupt Radio. Too many entrepreneurs create this glossy summation of their life and business, which makes them look like an, uh, uh, you know, an absolute god, but is actually quite inaccurate. I, you know, I mentor a lot of entrepreneurs and I've seen again and again, versions of what you say that behind all these success stories is just a lot of hardship, a lot of failure, a lot of two steps forward, one, one step back. So I really applaud your, your honesty with that. But one thing I don't understand is uh, you were a great and are a great salesman, but what do you think it was that separated McGrath, the agency, from your competitors? 
Um, look, I'm a great believer in one percenters. I don't think there's that many industries where you can be so creative and innovative that you do something totally different from the rest. I think you should always aim to try and do things that are different and innovative. But at the end of the day, buying and selling a property has certain con constants that are not going to change. So my, my question is, what can, how can we do it better, um, whether it's a little bit better or a lot better? So in the early days, so what do we start doing? So in terms of our advertisements, sounds boring, or not for you coming from a world of advertisements, but for a lot of people, you know, so what did you do with your ads? So everyone else used to use black and white photos. I went and hired a sketch artist because, you know, terraces in Paddington, as you know, were my sort of the, the type of property I sold mostly. And I got this artist and he used to sketch these beautiful sketch drawings and I used to, and then I got them professionally typeset back in the days when all the typesetting was done by the newspapers. So it all looked the same, which was very average. So I found a lady who used to work at Campaign Palace and she lived on Underwood Street, Paddington. I'd sold her a property and she was doing a little bit of creative design. I said, would you do the ads for me each week if I sort of bought a day of your time to do it? So she did that. So I had ads that looked cleaner and crisper. I had ads that had um, sketches which suited the Victorian style of properties and so forth. So that was a beginning uh, and one of the small things that I did. So I got noticed in the Sydney Morning Herald, which are all little three or four, you know, centimetre ads with no visuals. Again, I started putting the little sketches in. Then in terms of auction, which is the predominant way of selling property in many parts of Australia, people used to put auction and a date and I put auction and a date and I put price range 500 to 550. And people said, oh, this is great. You know, we don't have to guess anymore that we're actually getting price guides. And, you know, now price guides are fairly common, which is great. And I think we created, we were the we were the first people to create that. But, you know, those little things, I, I put signboards, I put nightlights on signboards. So yeah. I went to our signboard company and I said, why don't we put a floodlight on the signboard? He said, are you crazy? How are we going to do that? I said, well, we'll just get one. Let's trial them. Let's do some prototypes. And we trial them and, and it works. So little things, you know, when you start layering them together and together, it kind of works really well. And so that was, I think as a company, we've always been courageous enough to try to do things a bit differently, if not a lot differently, certainly a bit. Even it doesn't sound a lot, but going from photographs to sketches at the time was, I think, pretty ballsy because everyone was using photographs. Then we hired professional uh, copywriters rather than write the ourselves which every other agent was doing um, I found another person ex-ad industry that was had a baby and she just wanted some part-time freelance work so she would do a few days a week write the ads and we'd pay her per ad so I think in any industry in any business there's always if you look at what you're doing I'll guarantee you if you sit down and pull it apart or get a fresh set of eyes from someone there's going to be some ways of doing it a bit better and I think we just found that and still to this day, we try and always keep doing things a bit better. Yeah, love that philosophy. And it can be applied to absolutely any industry. That's what's, what's so important about what you said. Now, you're a pretty famous guy now. And I remember when you became famous, in, in fact, we were on 60 Minutes together, uh, yeah. when everybody watched 60 Minutes, when there wasn't 10,000 things, things to watch. And pretty much overnight around that time, you, you became nationally famous. How important do you think fame is to a company's growth? Look, I think, you know, we were very big on PR in general, not so much about me, but about the properties that we represented. So we were great believers in talking to the press and telling them when you've got an interesting story, 
especially about the property. And then often what comes with that is people say, oh, we hear your business is doing some interesting things. And uh, as you mentioned, 60 Minutes was kind of a, a classic, uh, you know, almost the, the utopian thing if you if you ever wanted to, you know, get onto something for some exposure, 60 Minutes is about as good as it, as good as it got. So I do think if you have something worthwhile saying and you're doing something worthwhile, I'm not a great believer in, you know, just trying to create a house of cards and, and just, you know, sort of saying you're something you're not. But if you've genuinely got some points of difference, you're doing some good things, I think getting some PR, and nowadays obviously social media is also a big part of that mix of exposure, I think it's really good. I, I look at our industry and, and you know, people that aren't in real estate that are listening to this will be saying, some of them say, oh, I see so many wankers from real estate. And I agree 100%. It's embarrassing. The ego that gets in the way of you trying to tell a decent story about your business or your clients or your properties you're selling or whatever you are selling, it's embarrassing the amount of ego. So I think if you can take the ego out and get some profile, it's extraordinary. But if you can't, I just wouldn't worry because a lot of people just shake their head at some of these egocentric articles and the things that people say and do in them. So I think, yeah, good exposure, positive exposure, um, humble exposure is all all really good. Uh, and even with social media, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in that, but just leave the ego at home. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's too many real estate ads that are, you know, largely an ad for the agent and the, the, the house is just a, a byproduct of it. It's, a, it's appalling, isn't yeah. it? I would say, I would describe you as a meticulous guy. You're highly excellent, uh, excellence-oriented. And that manifested uh, when we were growing up together in, in the early days of business in some really interesting ways. So uh, I remember being amazed and incredibly impressed that you used to get your car washed, was it three times a week? Every day. Every day you got it washed, hand-washed every single day. Yeah, but let me, let me just say that it, it helped because the guy at the office building where I was at, he offered to do it. So I didn't have to take it somewhere. He said, you come in here and park every day. I said, yep. He said, what if I did you a deal? And I think it was like 20 bucks a day. Yeah. He said, every day you come in, I'll park your car and I'll wash it and you pay me 20 bucks. I said, deal done. So I just, you know, in real estate, I guess it's, you know, it's your office, you're out and about. A lot of other industries, people never know what car you drive, but in real estate, mm. They, they definitely do. So I think it's important, that stuff. I think it's important and it's important to systemise it. Like I have a housekeeper every day and, and, and you know, some people say, well, is that necessary? And I say, no, it's not necessary, but it's comforting to know that every single day I've got everything where I want it and the beds are made and the clothes are washed and ironed and all that sort of stuff. And, and you know, so it's really, for me, it's a life system. A guy, I don't know if you follow him, Simon, Rob Durdeck, who used to be a top skateboarder and, oh. and he's, he's now an incredible business coach. He's got he's got a great podcast. I think it's called The Durdeck Machine or Building Rob or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he, he just talks about, he said he's written himself an 80-page life manual on how he lives his life. And one of the interesting things, and I, you, you, you'll love this, I suspect, he has the same meal delivered to his house every single day. He has salmon and vegetables and rice delivered five days a week. He says, yeah, I don't eat it every day. Sometimes I give it to staff or whatever, but he said, I love it. It's healthy. It's easy. I don't have to make a decision and waste time thinking about what I want today. And it just gets hand delivered by Whole Foods or one of those. So I think there's a lot to be said about if you're serious about maximizing your potential in business, reducing the tension elsewhere, reducing the things that you might have to do, whether it's you know, wash your car somewhere or go somewhere to do this or think about what am I going to eat for lunch or whatever. And Steve Jobs, I think, you know, he, he used to talk about he wears the same clothes every day because mm-hmm. he doesn't have to decide. It's one less decision. 
And I, I buy into that a lot. I think systemizing things to create a, a high level of efficiency. Now, some people say it sounds boring, and I'm, I'm sure it probably is, and I don't have the same meal every day, but I, I like the systemed, systemized approach of it. And I think if, if more people could reduce the number of decisions they have to make on a daily basis at work and out of work and create, and some people say, God, is that expensive for a housekeeper every day? And I said, well, you know, I guess that's relative how expensive it is. But I said, you know, I'd rather be doing, if, if I'm on the phone and I'm making deals with clients and so forth, you know, that can be what Dr. Fred used to call dollar productive activities and thousand dollar an hour activities. If I'm ringing six or seven clients and generating new business, and I'm paying someone, you know, $25 an hour. So kind of in one way, it's not expensive. So I think, uh, you know, you need to think about how do you reduce some of the friction to allow yourself to go faster. Yeah. And it's also about continuing an overall life philosophy of excellence. Excellence. You can't just be excellent in business and then have your whole life a shambles. To to take that same philosophy into your personal life, I think, is, is uh, you know, living an aligned life and I think it's completely appropriate and and you did it in remarkable ways I I don't think I ever saw this but someone said that for a while you used to have a, a photo uh, on the outside of your fridge of all what the inside should look like so that when the housekeeper uh, uh, arrived you know the strawberries were in a particular place the milk was in a particular place it, it was in pristine order yes yeah, so I tell you about, yeah I, I did it wasn't on the outside of the fridge but it was a photo of it that there was a guy, and I think they call them planograms now or something, it's not as uncommon. But the other thing I did is at one point in my life I was fortunate to be dating a wonderful lady who worked at Armani, and uh, so she was into clothes and she would, you know, sell suits and clothes and ties, and I was terrible with fashion, probably still am. But um, And and I got her one day to tell me all the suits that went with which shirts and then which ties because inevitably I'd put them on and, and it'd be a mishmash and be terrible. So she just, you know, she helped me and we spent a few hours one day laying them all out and she'd say, well, this blue shirt should have this kind of yellow tie and it goes best with this navy blue suit. And so then I had that in the, my wardrobe and, and it kind of allowed me, rather than wasting time making poor decisions, I'd just pick which outfit and I'd grab the shirt and the tie and the suit and, and, work, and the shoes mm. and it worked well. So, again, okay, just another little... Um, or, or system around making it more efficient and better. It didn't just allow me to dress a bit more quickly in the morning and without having to think about it, it actually put things together better because it was done by an expert and I just followed, just like colouring inside the lines once you're showing how to do it. And I think business, Simon, is like that. There are so many, you know, podcasts like the one you guys are doing now, this one, there are so many great resources where you can listen to people that have done what you might want to do. Mm. All you got to do is like join the dots or colour inside the lines. Mm. There's now, I mean, another great quote that I love and, and I, I don't know who it's from, but it says that in the age of information, ignorance is a choice. Mm. And I think this is the age of information. You can jump on YouTube and you can jump on podcasts and, and so forth and, and listen to great information. And if you don't, well, that's up to you, but just take responsibility. It's not because it's not there. It's only because you're not you're taking advantage of it. The Business Lounge. Disrupt Radio. Live on DAB Plus and streaming at disrupt.radio. You're with me, Simon Reynolds, on The Business Lounge. Recently, you took uh, back the CEO role at McGrath after a few years yeah. sitting, sitting back a little on, on the board. 
How, how are you a different CEO now? Good question. I'm not sure I've changed that much. The reason that, that I stepped back was when we went public, which is a, is a very challenging, it's a different podcast to this one. Maybe we'll tell that story one day. It's a very challenging um, and stressful time for many businesses to, to go from being a private company to a public. And it hasn't, it hasn't served us as well as we would have liked. But I thought, well, look, I'm not a public company CEO. I never went to any any schools of business. I'm just a real estate guy. So I'll just keep running the real estate bits and I'll hire someone else to do the big corporate bit. And and that was a mistake because A is now that I'm back, I've got to tell you, it's not that difficult to run and it's not that much different to run. If you surround yourself with the right people that have got the right expertise, you know, the right financial people and so forth, you know, running running a public real estate company now that I've done both private and public is not that difference. Uh, and two is if you're the founder of a business and you're still engaged and passionate about it as much as ever before, i got to tell you, it's very hard for you and the business putting someone in between the two of you. And I think if you can find the right person that connects you up, that understands that what your role could and should be, that's fine. But I think if, if you put someone in play and they try and kind of keep you a distance and they think that, you know, you're the founder and maybe your use-by date is up, um, it becomes very frustrating. And I went through, you know, a couple of situations that involved that and it was painful for me because I could see things as someone that had the, the DNA of the business. Can you believe this? I had someone once and they were telling me the story. Uh, sorry, they were telling me we were talking about the values of the business and the vision of the business and they started telling me and correcting me about the values and vision of the business. I said, mm. dude, I started the business. Mm. It was my vision. How on earth can you tell me what the vision of the business is when the vision of the business started with me and I've lived it every single day for the last 35 years? Mm. And, uh, yeah, that was frustrating but, you know, kind of just points out that, and I'm not even blaming that person at the time. I think it is probably difficult being a CEO in a company where the founder is still very active. So I'm not blaming either side. I'm just sure. saying it's difficult. Um, some people have done it well. Some of the huge companies in America have been able to sort of navigate that. But many, it's very I mean, Steve Jobs, as you know, he was fired from his own company for a period by his board and, you know, by the CEO that he brought in to run the company. Yeah. So I don't think this is novel, but it was challenging. Have I changed? Um, I'm still impatient. Um, I still like things done yesterday, which is a you know, probably the greatest liability, not asset in many ways. I think a sense of urgency for leaders is a good thing. You know, let's get on, let's get cracking. Yep. But I think you do need to be a little bit pragmatic about, about uh, you know, having the rhythm and the patience of the business to some degree. I think I think bigger today than I probably did a while ago and I and I spend less time in the weeds and more time on the, mm -hmm. on the bigger things, which is a, a good thing. Yeah, you know, being a perfectionist, I love every single thing absolutely so. Anything that was happening in the company, I wanted to have my fingerprint all over it. Not from ego. No one even knew about it, but I just wanted to know, so what have we got today? What conference, What are we serving them for lunch? You know, who's sitting where? What You know, I, I wanted to know all that detail. And I think to a degree perfectionism is really a good asset until it's not. And I think at some point it kicks over being great that someone's committed to excellence. They want to get the detail right. They, they want to be across the details so they can help you. To the next point, which is they're starting to get in the way, they're starting to slow things down, they're starting to meddle in things that really don't matter that much. And I think I, I'd probably you know, gone to that point. So I'm trying to step back a little bit on that now. 
I've got to be honest, I, I would hope that every every week and every month I've evolved in my life to some degree. But overall, if you squinted and watched me lead the company a few years ago and watched me lead it today, it wouldn't be that much difference. People would still feel energy. Yep. They'd feel passion. They'd feel a sense of urgency to move things on. They'd feel a desire to uh, innovate and try new stuff. Um, they'd see that one of our core traits is extreme ownership and transparency. I want people to be transparent and honest with our customers. You know, in our industry, Simon, yeah, probably in, in advertising, your old industry too, would be similar where transparency and integrity weren't high on the agenda for anyone in those industries in the main. So, um, you know, we, we kind of, one of our points of difference is uh, we'll own it if we screw up and we'll we'll deal with it. And we'll be transparent with you. We'll just tell you we're not into playing games and telling riddles and we'll just tell you the way things are. And, and generally speaking, that's been a point of difference. Brilliant. Mate, that is uh, not just a good answer to the question. It's a uh, textbook for everybody listening on how to run a great company. The Business Lounge. So what have we learned? Well, first of all, We've learned that just because you didn't do well at school, it does not mean that you can't become highly successful in business. I mean, you couldn't have got a worse last exam mark than, than what John did and, and look at what he's achieved. So those people out there who you know, feel that uh, they didn't get a good education, you should still be inspired to be great in business. We've also learnt the power of one percenters. You know, what John emphasised is it's not so much the home runs that build a great business, it's tiny little changes, little iterations, little improvements, little finessing that together combine over time to create a really successful, successful enterprise. We've also learnt that when you do learn something, something you can use, take action immediately and put it into your business. Get it into action. Don't just become someone who reads a lot or listens to a lot. Be someone who implements quickly. As he says, ready, fire, aim, rather than ready, aim, fire. And we've learnt to reduce the tension in your personal life out of work so that your business life works better. So that's uh, potentially uh, uh, simplifying and systemizing your diet or your clothes or your personal environment, taking a lot of the friction away, a lot of the complexity away in your personal life so that you can relax, you don't have to think about it and you can focus much more on business. Thanks, John McGrath. Fantastic to have you here. Thanks for having me, Simon. This rubs.